Believers, those who ascribe partners to God are truly unclean. Do not let them come near the sacred mosque after this year. If you are afraid, you may become poor. Bear in mind that God will enrich you out of his bounty if he pleases. God is all-knowing and wise. Fight those of the people of the book who do not truly believe in God in the last day, who do not forbid what God and his messenger have forbidden, who do not obey the rule of justice until they pay the tax promptly and agree to submit. The Jews said, Ezra is the son of God. And the Christians said, the Messiah is the son of God. They said this with their own mouths, repeating what earlier disbelievers had said. May God thwart them. How far astray they have been led. They take their rabbis and their monks as lords beside God, as well as Christ, the son of Mary. But they were commanded to serve only one God. There is no God but him. He is, a, he is as far above whatever they have set up as partners. They try to extinguish God's light within their mouths, but God insists on bringing his light to its fullness, even if the disbelievers hate it. It is he who has sent his messenger with guidance in the religion of truth to show that it is above all other religions, however much the idolaters may hate this. You who believe many rabbis and monks wrongfully consume people's possessions and turn people away from God's path. Prophet, tell those who hoard gold and silver instead of giving in in God's case that they will have a grievous punishment. On the day it is heated up in hell's fire and used to brand their foreheads, sides, and backs, they will be told, this is what you hoarded up for yourselves. Now feel the pain of what you hoarded. God's decrees that there are 12 months ordained in God's book on the day that he created the heavens and the earth, four months of which are sacred. This is the correct calculation. Do not wrong yourselves in these months, though you may fight the idolaters at any time. If they fight you, remember that God is with those who are mindful of them. Postponing sacred months is a, for, uh, is a further act of disbelief by which those who disbelieve are led astray. They will allow it one year and forbid it in another in order to, outward, to outwardly conform with the number of God's sacred months. But in doing it, they permit that God has forbidden what God has forbidden. Their evil deeds have made, uh, are made alluring to them. God does not guide those who disregard him. Believers, why, when it is said to go and fight in God's cause, do you feel weighed down to the ground? Do you prefer this world to the life to come? How small the enjoyment of this world is compared to the life to come. If you do not go out and fight, God will punish you severely and put others in your place. But you cannot harm him in any way. God has power over all things. If, even if you do not help the prophet... God helped him when the disbelievers drove him out, when the two of them were in the cave. He, Muhammad, said to his companion, Do not worry, God is with us. And God sent his calm down to him, aided him with forces invisible to you, and brought down the disbelievers' plan. God's plan is higher. God is almighty and wise. This is a translation of uh, the Quran, uh, particularly from Surah chapter uh, 9 verses 25 and following. I say translation of the Quran because within Islam, uh, the Quran is only in Arabic. So um, anything that's written in English is just that. It's just a translation. Um, so can't really read the Quran unless you know Arabic. Um, but anyway, so uh, warm welcome to you all. This is the sixth week of this fall formation offering entitled Good News is for sharing an introduction to evangelism. Um, I should note, if you've been here for any of my other classes, that I usually give away a book um, at the beginning of the class. This is going to be the first week where I'm not going to do that. Um, Not to say that you shouldn't read the Quran. Of course, you're more than welcome to. Um, 
but, uh, but I won't be doing that today for obvious reasons. Um, so what I'd like to do today is equip you guys with some solid knowledge about the origins of Islam um, so you can more adequately share the gospel with Muslims. And uh, to do this, what I'd like to do today is go over a quick history of the beginnings, the origins of Islam, and discuss some of the Islamic religious texts. Um, I'm going to put Ashley on the spot here. We had a little bit of a, um, a little bit of an argument yesterday because I was telling her what I was planning on doing, and, uh, and she was saying, "George, what are you doing? Why why are you going to go over that? Why not just go you know directly into uh, what Muslims believe and what they don't believe?" And um, anyway, she was uh, she was telling me that I was. Uh, trying to show off my knowledge of Islam or something like that. Um, but anyway, so I, uh, that's not the case. Um, what I, what, what's plain to me, at least, is that um, at least among Americans and a lot, of, a lot of Christians, there's just a lot of mystery over Islam. You know, what is Islam? Where did it come from? Who is Muhammad? Um, and uh, so what I want to do again is I just want to uh, demystify Islam. So um, I'm going to spend today and then next week um, talking about um, Islam. Today, again, it's just a laying a foundation um, of uh, the origins of Islam and then also the, the uh, religious texts. Um, so, um, let's see. Scroll down here. All right. Um, let's see. I went a little off what I wrote here, so... Um, okay, so what I, uh, what I like to do every week is I like to summarize uh, what I talked about the previous week. Um, since we had some missed classes because of uh, COVID and also uh, changing locations, um, I had to skip through some of my lectures and uh, uh, really summarize what I wanted to go over in three weeks into one week last week. So, um, so anyway, let me just summarize the entire uh, first two sections of the course super briefly. Um, so the first part of the course, um, that was my attempt at laying the theological foundation for evangelism. This is an evangelism class, even though we're, we're talking about Islam today. Um, so we defined evangelism. We defined the gospel. Um, negatively, we talked about spiritual truths that hinder um, our evangelism. And positively, uh, we talked about theological truths that fuel our evangelism. Um, the second part of the course, which I condensed uh, into last week's lecture, um, I took the theological and tried to bring it down to the practical. So... Um, first, we talked about how to share the gospel with somebody who shares a different worldview. Um, so I, I argued that we primarily here in the West view the gospel and our lives, really our worldview through the lens of uh, guilt and innocence. And I, sh- I shared how we can share the gospel with, uh, with those people who, who view life uh, through shame and honor or fear and power. Um, second, I summarized some of Dr. Booker's uh, bridges to the gospel. So um, how can we more easily transition into gospel conversations with, uh, with non-Christians? And then finally, I gave 10 practical tips uh, when sharing the gospel. So in summary, um, I said, if you feel inadequate, congratulations. Uh, be humble. Don't be a jerk. Pray, pray, and pray. Uh, preach the gospel to yourself each day. And then finally, be political. Um, so be quick to declare your allegiance to Jesus Christ um, and the kingdom of God to all your relationships. So let that be known. Uh, right away. So um, that's a quick summary of the first two sections. Um, any questions um, so far? Any comments? Anything I've said so far? Perfect. All right. Um, so as we, again, do every week, um, let's go ahead and take some time to pray. Um, so minding social distancing, excuse me, go ahead and turn your chairs around, form a small group, 
Um, I've asked you guys from the beginning to be praying for three people in your life uh, who you are sharing the gospel with or you want to share the gospel with. Um, so we're going to take five minutes now to go ahead and pray for these uh, three people in your life. Um, so go ahead and start doing that now, please. It's always, uh, I mention this every week, but it's very encouraging to see the body of Christ pray. So praise God for that. Thank you for you guys. Um, <clears throat> so like I mentioned, um, I want to paint a picture for you today. I want to show you uh, who Muhammad was how Islam started, and what Muslims view as their religious texts. Um, the information I'm sharing with you all comes from the authoritative Islamic texts. Um, so I'm using what Muslims say about themselves um, to share with you what Islam is. So, um, again, if I didn't make this clear earlier, I'm going to uh, phrase it a little bit differently. Um, what I want to do today is go back to the historicity of Islam and... Um, I'll say that most Muslims don't really know too much about the origins of Islam. So, um, again, a lot of the material that we're going to be covering, uh, most Muslims probably don't know this information. Um, and this isn't necessarily to give you guys ammunition or fuel to, to win uh, religious uh, arguments with Muslims. Um, again, rather, it's, it's to demystify Islam for you so that you're not afraid to share the gospel with Muslims. Um, so why would I do this? Why would I go back uh, to the 6th and 7th century to talk about the beginnings? Um, well, the reason I want to start here is because I think uh, too many of us don't have an idea of who Muhammad is or what Islam, uh, Islam is about. Um, like I said just now, it, it remains a mystery to us. So, um, so I want to demystify Islam for you. So according to Islamic tradition, uh, the time in which Islam uh, came from emerged from Jahileya. So this is a term that uh, Muslims use. So uh, it's an important term because it's the backdrop of where Islam came from. Uh, so Jahileya refers to the age of ignorance. Um, so Muslims paint this picture, uh, this, this age of ignorance as a time of, uh, of barbarism. So thievery abounded, uh, polytheism was rampant, uh, people cared little about others, um, immorality was the norm, nobody cared about God, uh, women were severely oppressed, um, and slaves were treated as very bad. So this is, this is the picture that they try to paint. Um, the Kaaba, uh, so this is the big black cube that's in Mecca in Saudi Arabia. You guys know what I'm talking about, the big black cube in Saudi Arabia that Muslims walk around? Yes, yes. Um, so this existed during uh, Jahileya. So then is now, uh, this was a pilgrimage site uh, where worship, worshipers would come from long distances. Um, so according to Muslim tradition, we're told that inside the Kaaba, it was filled with 360 idols, um, or pagan statues. And presumably, um, each of these gods had their own particular day. So if you're following the lunar calendar, that'd be 360 plus some extra days. Um, so 360 idols uh, within the Kaaba. Um, there, we, we know some about uh, some of the idols that were within the Kaaba, uh, but I'm going to mention just three of them. One of them uh, was Allah, obviously. Uh, and then Jesus and Mary. So interestingly, interestingly, Jesus and Mary had their own idol uh, within the Kaaba. Um, so I want to point out that Allah uh, was not viewed as the preeminent, almighty, uh, uh, monotheistic, powerful God uh, that, that Muslims view him as today. So again, Allah was just one of these many idols that were found within the Kaaba. And uh, interestingly... Um, this, this would be heresy for Muslims today, but Allah had three daughters. Uh, their names were Alat, Aluza, and Manat. So Allah had three daughters. Very interesting. 
Um, so to go to Allah, you had to go through three of these, uh, through one of these three daughters as their intercessors. Um, and as a, as a quick side note, uh, we're, ter- we're told early on in Muhammad's prophetic career that uh, uh, Satan tempted, Mus- uh, excuse me, Satan t- tempted Muhammad um, to insert um, the allowing Muslims to pray to these three daughters to reach Allah. Um, so he, he, uh, Satan tempted him, and then it, this actually ended up in the Quran. So this is known as the satanic verses. You can Google this. Um, and the verse goes like this. Have you thought of Alat and Aluza and Manat, the third and the other? These are the exalted cranes whose intercession is hoped for. So we're told uh, from the most authoritative Islamic sources that Muhammad was tempted to include this in the Quran to win over some of the pagan uh, Meccans to Islam. Um, in other words, they could still be Muslims and still worship these uh, false gods, these goddesses. And uh, most contemporary Islamic scholars, they uh, deny this account because it's embarrassing. Um, but nevertheless, it's, uh, it's in the Islamic text. I'm not making this up. This, you can go back and read this. Um, so where did this Kaaba come from? How old is it? Uh, well, we're told by the Islamic sources. Uh, it's reported by them. Um, and by the way, when I'm, when I'm mentioning um, Islamic sources... Just bear in mind that most of the Islamic sources, the vast majority of them, came at least 150 to 200 years after the death of Muhammad. So we're not talking about the New Testament, where we've got dozens and dozens of manuscripts that all correlate with one another and were written very shortly after the death of Jesus Christ. We're talking about uh, sources that were written centuries after the death of Muhammad. So anyway, we're told by um, Islamic sources that the Kaaba was constructed uh, by none other than Abraham and his son Ishmael. Um, so if you, uh, if you could um, just imagine here, I don't have a map, but um, think of the Middle East. Um, where was Abraham from? Nick, you're not allowed to answer this. Anybody else? Where was Abraham from? Ur. Ur, yeah, the land of Ur. So Mesopotamia. So if we're looking at a map, here's Mesopotamia. Abraham would have had to travel um, that be west and down a little bit to go into Palestine, which is modern-day Israel. Um, and to say that he went down, all the way down to Saudi Arabia, what we know today as Saudi Arabia, he would have had to go way down south to go down to the Kaaba. Anyway, uh, there's no other text to support this. This all came, again, um, 150, 200 years after the death of Muhammad, and this is something that um, supposedly Abraham uh, and uh, Ishmael did uh, about 2000 BC. So, um, <clears throat> anyway, so uh, Abraham and Ishmael were commissioned by God to erect this place of worship, and furthermore, we're told that Allah sent an angel uh, with a black stone, and he put it at the cornerstone of the Kaaba. Um, so, this is a black stone that everybody comes and touches when they go uh, to Mecca. So anyways, going back to the Jahileya, uh, we're told that the Kaaba was a religious site. Again, 360 idols. Uh, religious articles were sold outside the Kaaba. Um, and very interesting, we're, interestingly, we're told that the worshipers would also circumbobulate around the, uh, uh, the Kaaba naked. Um, so again, this kind of paints the picture of Jahileya, a time of, of evil and, and darkness and ignorance, etc. Um, so as you think about pre-Islamic Arabia, um, think about this darkness and the, glo- the gloom. It's important to understand, you know, how Muslims understand their origin through, through this lens. So um, ignorance and oppression, uh, darkness. Uh, but then Muhammad arrives as the last and final prophet. 
Um, Upon his advent, the the darkness vanishes away. Um, Ignorance is replaced with enlightenment. And then the golden era of Islam arises now that Muhammad is on the scene. Um, So polytheism gives way to monotheism. Again, this is what we're told. Uh, We're told from Islamic tradition that Muhammad was born in Mecca in 570 AD. Uh, He came from the tribe of the Quraysh. Uh, This was a powerful merchant tribe that controlled the city of Mecca at the time. Um, And incidentally, um, it was his own tribe who gave him the most trouble um, as he uh, asserted himself as the final prophet of God. Uh, Muhammad's father died before his birth. Uh, Muhammad's mother died when he was a young child and he went on to live with his uncle Abu Talib. So he was was an orphan. Uh, Muhammad first married when he was 25 years old. And again, remember uh, that he was a poor orphan living with his uncle, so that'll come to play in just a minute. Uh, his first name, his first name, his first wife, excuse me, was named uh, Hadija. Uh, Hadija was 40 years old uh, when she married Muhammad, and we're told that she was a very wealthy and very successful tradeswoman. Um, so it's it's interesting. Again, try to paint this picture: Jahileya, this time of ignorance, women are oppressed, slavery abounded. Um, that uh, um, it, it's it's hard to conceive of the fact that. Uh, Muhammad married Hadijah when women were oppressed, yet here's this very wealthy woman who's doing very well for herself and who's a successful businesswoman, all during the time of Jahalayim. But uh, it's a side note. Um, so prior to, um, to, uh, to her conversion to, to Islam, um, it's my belief that Hadijah was a Christian. I, I doubt she was uh, um, born-again Christian, obviously, but I, I think she had a Christian background. Um, so why do I say that? Uh, her cousin, Waraka, was a Christian monk. And Muhammad was introduced to Waraka through Hadijah um, because they were related. Uh, based on the reported Islamic sources, we're told that Muhammad was deeply influenced by this Christian monk. Uh, so much so that Muhammad's prophecy ceased for a while after this Christian monk died. And again, so Hadijah and this Christian monk were related. They were cousins. Uh, also, I think Khadijah uh, had a Christian background based on the, the fact that her marriage, uh, the, the terms of her marriage with Muhammad. So Muhammad had uh, dozens and dozens of wives, concubines, um, sex slaves, yet his marriage, uh, his, own, his, his only monogamous marriage was with Khadijah, and he was married with her for 25 years. Um, so again, Muhammad married a wealthy woman uh, while he was a young man, and, uh, and he lived a monogamous marriage with her for 25 years. And uh, coincidentally, after his marriage with Hadijah, um, he started taking on all these other wives and concubines, etc. Um, so, um, despite us being told that this was the age of ignorance of Jahileya, um, I think that when Muhammad married Hadijah, uh, she would not have allowed Muhammad to take on other wives since she was a Christian. And she controlled the pocketbook, obviously. Uh, despite, the, despite the fact that we're told about uh, Jahaleya, we're told that Muhammad was a very uh, pious man even before his revelation, so he wasn't one of the polytheists. Um, the trees and the rocks would bow down, down to him. That's what we're told in the Islamic text. Um, he's reported to have the seal of the prophet on his shoulders. What that means, we don't quite know. Uh, but he had the seal of the prophet on his shoulders. And, uh, and he was even prophesied by a Christian monk when he was a prophet of God. So uh, when, he was, uh, when he was a youth, uh, Muhammad is said to have sat down um, underneath a tree where only prophets sit. That's it. <laughs> that's, what we're, that's what we're told. 
Um, so let's fast forward a little bit to when Muhammad was uh, 40 years old. Uh, we're told that he would often go up to a mountain, uh, and particularly in a cave, in solitude. Uh, this is when he received his first revelation. Um, so the angel Gabriel is reported to have come to the illiterate Muhammad. He was illiterate. And he squeezed him. And he pressed him. And he hit him. So the angel was doing this to Muhammad. And he would tell him, this is from uh, Quran chapter 96. It says, read. And the name of the Lord who created man from a clinging substance. Read. The Lord is most generous. He who taught by the pen taught that which men knew not. So the scene is quite comical. You can't really see it from the Quran, but when you read it um, alongside the biography of Muhammad, um, it's a very comical scene where uh, Muhammad is in this cave and he has no idea what's going on. The angel Gabriel is coming to him, squeezing him, pressing him, telling him to read. And Muhammad's like, I don't know how to read. What do you want me to do? Um, but anyway, it's, it's quite comical, and uh, that's what we're told came as the, uh, as the first uh, uh, revelation to Muhammad. So he comes back, and he reports this uh, experience to Hadijah. By the way, if this seems like otherworldly, just very weird and bizarre, like, yeah, it is weird and bizarre, and it's okay to think that. Um, um, so anyway, he comes back, and uh, he reports this experience to Hadijah. Uh, we're told that she supported him, and he, she became the first convert to Islam. Um, as he began to go about preaching in Mecca, um, he faced serious opposition um, and because of his message of monotheism. So again, remember that within Kaaba, uh, 360 idols, obviously the economy revolved around all these different uh, um, icons and, um, and, and false gods. Um, so he faced uh, serious opposition because of his message of monotheism. And um, uh, I'm going to have to pick up the pace a little bit now. Um, and again, this is just a quick snapshot of the origins of Islam. Uh, Muhammad's time as a prophet in Mecca is characterized by weakness and persecution, uh, defensiveness. Um, he had a small following. It was mostly family members and friends. Uh, they were rock, mocked, ridiculed, uh, mistreated. Uh, the persecution got so bad that he had to flee Mecca uh, to save his own life. And uh, like all good leaders, he, uh, he left first. He saved his life first. Um, so he left Mecca, fled to Medina. Medina is a city that's just north of Mecca. Uh, when he arrived in Medina, we're told that the city had a major dispute. And uh, Muhammad inserted himself as a mediator. Again, uh, time of Jahileah, you know, uh, lots of strife. And then Muhammad comes on the scene as, as the, uh, the man of peace. Um, so Muhammad inserted himself as the mediator, and he quickly won over the city of Mecca. Uh, excuse me, of Medina. Um, you might hear of the word uh, hijra, so Muslims use this term when they're talking about uh, fleeing from Mecca into Medina, so that's the term hijra. Um, so his base and followers grew in Medina, so he not only had his original followers from Mecca, but then he also took over this whole town, and coincidentally they all became Muslims. Uh, Muhammad is reported to have received uh, more and more divine revelation during this time, and uh, particularly in regards to raids and, uh, and conquest. Um, emboldened with a stronger following and a new city, Muhammad emerged as a powerful leader and ruler. And his first raids were directed to his own tribe, the Quraysh. Uh, his, the, the tribe that Muhammad came from, uh, it was a tribe of merchants. So they would travel to and from Arabia um, trading. And um, as they would go about caravans, obviously Muhammad knew the routes and he also knew what was in there. Um, so um, so the, the, the first raids were directed to his own people. 
Um, the promises Muhammad gave to his warriors was, uh, was that of treasure and, uh, and booty. Uh, fight for me uh, or for me, and you can share this wealth. Um, there were different rules on what they could and couldn't take, uh, but you could take what they had on their caravans. Uh, you can take money and possessions on the person that you killed. Uh, you can marry the wives of the men that you killed. Um, you can gain female slaves, uh, concubines, etc., and all that that entails. And again, I'm not making this up. This is all from you know, the most authoritative Islamic texts. You can go out there and read this yourself. Um, if you happen to die, um, you'll reach paradise. And uh, th- this is not heaven. This is paradise, uh, where you'll have an endless supply of intoxicating wine. Uh, you'll have sexual uri women. Uh, so these are described as perpetual virgins with uh, very um, light-colored skin and uh, some graphic detail that I won't, won't mention here. Um, and, and a life of ease. So uh, wine pleasure, and sex. Um, To those being fought against, uh, so if you were against Muhammad, uh, the prophet of God, uh, you only had three options. Um, You, one, submit to Muhammad and Islam. Uh, Two, you pay the jizya. The jizya was, uh, this is a tax paid by non-Muslims, so um, if you're not going to submit yourself to Islam, then you have to pay up. Um, Or option number three, if you're not willing to convert to Islam, if you're not willing to pay, then you'll be killed. Those were the three options. There were many little raids that occurred. Um, this ultimately led to the conquest of Mecca, uh, where, where Muhammad returned to his home city and subjugated the city to himself. Um, so again, Muhammad started in Mecca, um, small uh, gathering, persecuted, fled up to Medina. Medina is where he grew his following. Uh, he gained the whole city. He had more uh, Muslim converts, started doing small raids, and then he eventually returned back to Mecca and took over that town. So all that makes sense. Everybody fine? Okay. Um, it's my opinion, uh, based on uh, a clear reading of these Islamic, authoritative Islamic texts, uh, that submission to Islam and, uh, and to Muhammad was political. Uh, I, I don't, it's not, you don't see it as, as being religious. It's, it's political. Um, a clear example of this could be seen through Abu Sufyan. Um, so Abu Sufyan was an enemy of Muhammad. He was part of the Quraysh tribe. Um, in fact, don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure they were long, uh, they were relatives of some sort, kind of distant relatives. Uh, but as he took over Mecca, when Muhammad came back and took over Mecca, um, Abu, Abu Sufyan told him, uh, Muhammad, that he didn't really believe in Islam. And uh, yet he bowed down, he bowed his knee uh, before Muhammad to become a Muslim and to escape um, being put to death. So, um, Again, that's just a small snapshot to kind of paint the picture that submission to Islam was political. Um, here's a man who just told Muhammad that he didn't really believe in it, but he bowed the knee, was saved, and was considered a Muslim. Right? Uh, Muhammad died in 632 AD, so he was really only a Muslim for about 20 years before he died. Um, he didn't leave behind a predecessor. Um, what followed after his death was the massive expansion of Islam through people, through ruthless warriors, in my opinion, who kind of took over and were fighting against one another as to who was going to take over um, Islam, who was going to lead uh, the, um, the Ummah. The, I didn't write down how to explain Ummah. Um, what's that? Uh, the Uma is like, so like for Christians, we think of um, the Holy Catholic Church. I'm not talking about the Roman Catholic Church. I'm talking about 
the universal church. So the Ummah would be the, the broad collection of all Muslims. So they were fighting against one another as to who would be the leader of this, uh, I would say, political group. Um, okay, so um, that's the first part of the lecture. Uh, what I want to talk about next is uh, the religious texts. Um, so we'll talk about the Quran, biography of Muhammad, the Hadiths, uh, tafsirs. Um, again, that was just a very quick snapshot of, uh, of the beginnings of Islam. And again, I, if that was rare, bizarre, like, yeah, it is. Um, but any questions? Um, I've got about nine minutes to cover the other lecture. Um, any questions, please? Yes, sir. Yeah, great question. So if I can summarize your question for the microphone so everybody else can hear. How do you deal with... Yeah, how do you, how do you deal with Muslims uh, being in the world's largest cult? One-to-one. Yeah, great question, Dr. Nicholson. I'm going to focus on that predominantly next week. Um, so again, this week is just mostly a, a quick snapshot, a quick history, a quick survey over the origins of Islam and the authoritative Islamic texts. Next week, we'll talk about um, how to deal with Muslims. And again, like I mentioned at the beginning, uh, I'll get to your question in just a second, Rolinda. Um, most of what we're talking about today, most Muslims don't even know about. Um, but, uh, but again, I want to I bring this out to the open and talk about it so that we're not to demystify Islam so we're not scared of sharing the gospel with Muslims. Um, so again, this isn't, you know, what's the term here, Nick? You're good with uh, these terms. This isn't like fodder for your canon, is that right? Okay. Um, this is just uh, kind of lay down a, a, a foundation. Um, Linda. Yeah, there are many, many encouraging books. Uh, God is working among Muslims and I guess one thing I do want to say, Dr. Nicholson, um, I'll just quickly mention this because we've got to get going here, but um, to answer your question, it's not like they... Islam is a way of life. It's more than just religion. It's a way of life. It's, it's religious. It's political. It's cultural. It's, uh, it's language. It's, it's the, uh, as we'll talk about in just a minute, it's the following the sunnah of Muhammad. It's following his, his person, his, his sayings, his deeds, what he did, how he acted. It's it permeates all of life, and um, and a lot of these, a lot of Islam, unfortunately, it's just people that are totally blind. I think this will make more sense in just a minute when we talk about the uh, the text. But th- these people are truly blind. They're they're beggars, um, and they're beggars because they they don't know what to do. They're trying to make their way towards God and please Allah. How do they do it? <laughs> Beats me. There's, uh, that's, I mean, that, that's, that's their understanding of it because you've got so many, you know, authoritative Islamic texts. Which ones are you going to do? Which ones are you going to follow? Which ones are you going to read? Who are you going to listen to? Um, how, how, how deeply do you actually follow Islam? Are you going to be, in my opinion, very, um, uh, are you going to follow the text um, to the T? perhaps like ISIS did, um, and, and interpret it very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Somebody help me out here. Uh, not violently, just clearly. Just, just reading the text for what it is, um, instead of trying to read it through a different lens, perhaps. But anyway, uh, real quick, Miguel, did you have a question or comment? Sure. This was, uh, this was, yeah, great, great question. So Muhammad is said to, reported to have been born at 570 and died 632 A.D. So 7th, 8th century A.D. 
Okay, so we've, uh, we're pretty much out of time, but let me breeze through this super quickly. Um, okay, so the Quran is the most authoritative book in Islam. It's only about three quarters of the, t- the size of the New Testament. Um, if you were to read at it, look at it, um, this is it right here. This is just kind of the expanded you know, translation, if you will, in English. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's three quarters the size of the New Testament, so don't let the size of this book intimidate you. Um, it's very mysterious. There's no chronological order to it. Um, the sentences flow in and out of one another. If you were paying attention uh, to the, the beginning of, you know, when I started reading, there's absolutely no context. Um, so the thoughts kind of merge in and out of one another. Um, and uh, and there's some glaring contradictions in the text. Um, yeah, I, it's not just me saying this, by the way. Islam teaches something that's called abrogation. Um, abrogation is the nullifying of some verses. Um, so in other words, one verse will cancel out another verse. Um, we're told that, uh, that the Quran is frozen in time from eternity past in the seventh heaven, sitting at the right hand of Allah. The Quran is eternal. It never has changed. Why the abrogation? Why would, why would an eternal scripture have one verse over here that cancels out another verse? It doesn't quite make sense. But anyway, this is abrogation. It's an Islamic teaching. This, is, this doesn't originate with me. Um, Muslims will do this by declaring certain verses to be Meccan verses and other verses to be Medinan verses. So again, think back to what I was talking about. Uh, Muhammad was weak in Mecca, but he was strong in Medina. And so they'll say that, oh, Muhammad said this verse when he was in Mecca uh, and not in the time of Medina. So when he sounded weak over here, let's just ignore that because that verse was canceled out by this verse when he was stronger. Does that make sense? All right. Uh, the Quran belittles Jesus to be a mere prophet. As Dr. Nicholson said, you know, that's one aspect of a cult in that it uh, subtracts something from uh, or divides something from Christ. Um, that's certainly the case with the Quran. It belittles him to a mere prophet. Um, Jesus is just one of the many prophets um, who received one gospel uh, from Allah. So Christians and St. Paul in particular, Muslims hate Paul, uh, corrupted the text and then they added three gospels. They added three Gospels. So Allah, stupid Christians, gave you one Gospel, and you guys added three. So now you have four. It's corrupted. That's what they would say. Um, the stupid part was my insertion there. But uh, The Quran is anti-Trinitarian in nature. Um, so a common refrain in the Quran is that Allah is one and that he has no sons. Yet apparently he had three daughters, right? Uh, to associate Allah with another thing or person is to commit shirk. Uh, shirk is, uh, is a crime deserving of death. Um, the Quran also has a very flawed and very elementary understanding of the Bible. Um, some examples of this include how the Quran confuses Miriam, the sister of Moses, with Mary, the mother of Jesus. Right? Um, another example, uh, the Quran believes that the Trinity is not Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, so according to the Quran, the Trinity is the Father, the Son, Mary. Interesting. Uh, the next authoritative Islamic texts are the Hadiths. So this is the primary one. Secondary one are going to be the Hadiths. Think of an encyclopedia, okay? Many, many volumes, okay? Multiply that by about eight or nine of those. These are the collections of the Hadiths. So this is a very vast collection of, uh, of texts. So when I was saying Muslims are beggars, they don't know, you know, who to listen to, what to read, what to do. This is what I'm talking about. Um, so again, these hadiths, these reported sayings of Muhammad um, came about 150 to 200 years after the death of Muhammad. 
Um, again, it's not one book. There are volumes and volumes of them. Um, all of them, they claim to have quotes of uh, their prophet. And because the Quran is so mysterious and you can't quite make sense of it, uh, most Muslims are closer to the Hadiths than they are um, of the Quran. So within Christianity and the Bible, we try to engage with the text, right? We try to exegete the text and try to understand, you know, what was Paul saying here? What was the context in which Jesus said this? And the Quran, I don't know, this is the Quran, you know, we don't understand it. The more complicated it is, the more divine it is. Um, and side note, um, um, let's see, I'm going to skip that actually because we're running out of time. Uh, some uh, famous, uh, some favorite examples of mine of, of some hadiths. I mean, they, they can be something as very ordinary to something completely bizarre. Um, so you can kill lust by breastfeeding. Uh, Muhammad prescribed this to a boy slave of his uh, who was going through puberty. So he, this was a boy slave of his that was in his teens now. And he didn't want him to lust after one of his wives. Um, so what he did was he told this boy to be breastfed by his one wife so that he wouldn't have lust for his wife. Uh, again, I'm not saying this, okay? I'm not saying this. You can go and read this yourself. Um, if a fly lands on your drink, you have to submerge the entire fly within your drink. Why? Simple. One wing is poisonous. The other one is the antidote. You have to submerge the entire fly in your drink. Uh, this one's quite sad. Uh, it says most of, the, most of those entering into the hellfire are women. It's a reported saying of Muhammad. Um, the next authoritative text is the uh, biography of Muhammad. So this is written by Ibn Ishaq. Um, this, is, this is actually just a, a translation of, um, of the, the biography of Muhammad. This is the oldest one that we have, again, 150, 200 years after the death of Muhammad. Um, it's widely believed by many um, um, scholars that this biography and the Hadiths, uh, they came much later to make sense of the Quran. So again, the Quran doesn't quite make sense, very confusing. How do we make sense of this in the context of Christians and Jews living around us who have a very robust religious understanding of the scriptures, and yet we have this kind of confusing Quran? How do you make sense of it? You make up stories to help bring light and context into the Quran. Um, the biography of Muhammad um, is very detailed. Um, it's not embarrassed to report about Muhammad's sexual life uh, with his many wives, concubines, sex slaves, his plunders, his massacres. Um, I'm not saying this. Again, this is the, the Islamic scriptures. If they're not embarrassed to say it, I'm not going to uh, be embarrassed for them. It's reported um, uh, in, in one instance, I read this last night, um, where Muhammad raided um, a Jewish settlement, and he is reported to have decapitated some 800, 900 Jews. Um, so, again, this is not me saying this. These are the authoritative Islamic texts. So I got to wrap up. Uh, what's the point of all of this? Uh, well, let me encourage you. Again, we don't have to be scared of Islam. Uh, we, um, we don't have to be afraid of sharing the gospel with Muslims. Uh, and I just want to, I hope that this really encourages you in the fact that your faith is grounded upon uh, the author, authoritative word of God that makes sense. Um, this is one of the most beloved uh, doctrines of mine uh, that we often take for granted. The scriptures can be read uh, by a child and a man who's been walking with the Lord for dozens of years. Um, and they're clear, and we can come to know Jesus Christ through the scriptures. Um, they're not grounded through the shady life of one individual. Um, they're based upon uh, one man uh, who became incarnate, 
And uh, this man, Jesus Christ, lived a perfect life and he was sinless. Um, he is God personified and he is, our, um, he is our Lord and we follow him. And uh, again, this was not to, um, this is not to ridicule Muslims. This is not, if, there's, if, you see, if you noticed any sense of sarcasm or humor in anything that I've said today, please know that it's not directed towards Muslims. Like I said from the beginning of our class uh, here in evangelism, we reach out to others in compassion. Um, so, again, it's not to belittle Muslims or anything. All that humor is just directed towards the text, based on what the Islamic texts say, not against towards Muslims. I hope I make that absolutely clear. I hope none of you guys come out of here thinking that I'm, you know, I, 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 I'm saying anything uh, bad about Muslims themselves. Again, most Muslims don't even realize this. I know I'm out of time, Nick. Um, but anyway, bottom line, uh, if this demystified Islam for you in any way, then I consider this to be a success. I don't want you to be afraid of Muslims. I don't want you to be afraid of, of, uh, of Islam. Um, because ultimately, he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Amen? Amen? All right. Let me finish out with this verse. Uh, this is from 1 John chapter 2, verses 21 through 25. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lies of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for, um, for being able to, uh, to understand uh, quickly go over this uh, survey of Islamic history. Um, Lord, we pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and pray that you would give us a heart compassion for Muslims. Um, Lord, we pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit uh, and, and that many Muslims would come to faith in you uh, through repentance and faith. Um, Lord, we pray that you would have mercy and we pray that you would make us instruments of your will. In Jesus' name, amen.